Okay, welcome everyone. My name is Luke Thomas, and this is the UFC Glendale post-fight special here on my YouTube channel. Thank you so much for joining me. I greatly appreciate it. So if you don't want spoilers, if you want those out of the way, hold on, let me pull this up here. If you want those out of the way, uh, you have to make sure you're out of here in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1... Okay, I'm assuming if you're still around, then uh, you are okay with what we're about to discuss here. I would pull up my, uh, what the hell's going on? I would pull up my, um, what you call it, my, well, you know, we could pull up the stinger. Fuck it, why not? Just to be honest. A little consistency. guys so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. As I mentioned, my name is Luke Thomas. I'm the host of the Luke Thomas Show here on uh, Sirius XM Rush Channel 93. I'm also the senior editor at uh, MMAfighting.com. All right, so a couple of housekeeping notes. At the end of the post-fight special, you can see my link below here for L. Thomas News. That's my link on Twitter. That's my name on Twitter. I will actually answer your questions. So if you got any questions, comments, that's the place to leave them. On the other side here, you can see it says donate in the super chat. There's a portion of the chat window called the super chat. And if you want to, you can. You don't have to. There's no requirement. But some of you are like, oh, do a Patreon. Some of you are like, oh, I don't want to buy your t-shirts. And the t-shirt links, of course, are in the description box uh, as well. But if you don't want to do any of that and you just want to give a, a donation, you can do that in the super chat. And if your comment isn't, hey, Luke, uh, you know, I'd like to masturbate in front of bus stops for free time, I'll actually read your... Because um, you get to actually leave a, uh, a remark with your super chat and your donation. I'll actually read them out on the air at the end of the chat as well. So a couple of ways you can get your opinion uh, out there. And of course, any and all donations are appreciated. And as I mentioned, the Teespring link is in the uh, description box below. Also, this podcast is and this episode is brought to you by the beta academy if you want to train anywhere in washington dc uh it's where i'm a member you can go at the corner of 14th and florida avenue northwest jiu-jitsu mma strength and conditioning the whole nine it's in there all right all right so without further ado um let's get into it all right what do you want to say about that shit wow Easy, easy, easy fight of the year contender. Uh, UFC on Fox 29 is now over. This took place at the, I'm reading it off the screen here, the Gila River Arena in Glendale, Arizona. Oh my God. Oh my God. That was one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. I don't even know where to begin and end with this shit, to be quite honest. Um, I'm just so blown away. I'm just so totally blown away. Um, all right. Few things here. Number one, after last week's disaster and just fiasco of whatever you want to call it, what that was, it was nice to not only have on a Friday the 13th, no less, all the fighters make weight, 14 fights even, uh, with no issues, nobody got sick, nobody got the flu, nobody got glass in their eye, nothing. It just went forward as it was supposed to. And that felt kind of good, but then you just never know how the fights are going to be. And of course, everyone had... Uh, strong positive feelings and, 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 and belief that the main event would be great. But nevertheless, you just never know, right? Not with the main event, but the rest of that card. First of all, the card itself was excellent in, in the end. Not everything was like 
amazing. But that main event, my God, like I, I just was so happy to see an MMA event be what elite MMA is supposed to be. Sometimes we lose sight of that. Sometimes it, it doesn't hold up to its own end of the bargain. Um, but today it did. It did, man. You know, I don't know what kind of ratings this is going to do. This is one of those nights where most of the time when the ratings are like so-so or bad for an MMA event, I think, well, the promoter really bears some responsibility here to get that out. And this time I'm going to, that, that's always true. But this time I really feel like, you know what? If you didn't watch that shit, you fuckers missed out because that was incredible. 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 Okay, your main event results. And by the way, if you're watching this, please like the video and subscribe to the channel below. I really appreciate that when you do. As you can see, man, I've put some real effort into trying to upgrade this 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 set here. And this is just the beginning. There's there's more to come, man. So please do me a solid. I really appreciate it. If you would, if you would, um, you know, you don't have to give any donations, but if you would just give me a, uh, a thumbs up and a subscribe, it would mean the world. So thank you very much if you're willing to do that. All right, let's get to these fucking results. Dustin Poirier. Defeating Justin Gaethje via TKO at 33 seconds of the fourth round. I can barely contain myself over this. I actually tweeted this out, you know, I don't know, maybe after the second or third. I think after the second round, because it looked like at that point Poirier was fading. And it's the quote from Bane from the Batman movie. And it was, ah, you think the darkness is your ally. You merely adopted the darkness. I was born in it, molded by it. And the quote goes on from there. But it was just this moment where you could see Poirier absolutely giving it to Justin, excuse me, to Justin Gaethje. You could see him actually, there's no doubt about it, he was putting it on Gaethje. But Gaethje would look at these scenarios and smile. And when there was a ref break for an eye poke or anything else, he was waving the crowd on. And he was engaged. And you just felt like, man, the tide was going to turn here. It wasn't that Poirier was losing those rounds. In my judgment, he clearly won the first two. I wasn't really scoring the third. So in my mind, maybe he, well... And then, of course, the point deduction happened. But however you wanted to score those, in my mind, he won the first two cleanly. And the third one, let's say it was a toss-up because of um, it was a 9-9 nine, nine, nine at that point. So so whatever. Even then, I still had Poirier ahead, but I guess it could have been even. But, but the point being was Poirier was not fighting poorly by any stretch of the imagination. You saw him leading with the jab, leading with the jab, leading with the jab, then firing with the other hand. Um, his lead hook was doing a great job. He was trying to throw leg kicks to an extent, but they weren't exactly f coming through. But nevertheless, he was active, and he was landing big shots. He cut uh, Justin Gaethje very early in that fight and was just putting it on him. But as time went on, those leg kicks from Justin Gaethje began to add up more and more and more and more. And then what you start to see was the pace and the output, especially around three, began to decline for Dustin Poirier. And at that point, that's when the games, to me, really start to get a little ugly for Dustin Poirier because what was happening was as long as he was at distance he was eating those leg kicks and you wondered when the worm would turn but then what started to happen was a when he started to shoot I was like you know he did get Gaethje down once I think it was the beginning of the third or the fourth but you know for like a second or something but what really began to get me concerned for him was when he started to get backed up against the fence and then fight along the, the, the fence line. Because it's one thing to take all those leg kicks at distance, but Gaethje switches it up on you along the fence line. He has a good Tim Boach sort of inside style uppercut. Um, and then he also has that elbow over the top, that slashing elbow that he's really good at, at throwing. I would throw it, but I had surgery on the shoulder. I can't even like mobile. You have to like rotate your wrist in. Anyway, 
And so he tried to throw that shoulder over uh, the, the, the elbow over the top, and he was slashing him and tearing him up. And I was like, oh, man, now there's sort of like a, there's this extra dimension of Poirier, excuse me, Gaethje's game where, yes, and then in between space, he takes a lot of abuse, but he kind of just holds out. And then at distance, it's leg kicks in tight, it's elbows and it's uppercuts, right? It's, 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 a, it's a, just an absurd combination. Um, and then I, I thought, man, this is going to go, you know, Dustin's beating him or, or doing really, really well, but I don't know how much longer this is going to last. And then he comes out in that fourth round, and this was just the most unbelievable thing. Oh, my God. Dustin Poirier lands a fucking tidal wave, a tsunami of a left hook. He whipped Justin Gaethje's head around on his shoulders like that was the fucking exorcist kid, man. He went whap like the ricochet off that thing was absurd. And the and the craziest part about it all was not merely that Dustin Poirier, four rounds in against Justin Gaethje, is landing ridiculous hard punches, perfectly timed, perfectly placed. That's absurd in its own right. There's another level to that, which is that as Gaethje stumbles to catch himself, go back and look at the replay. He makes eye contact with Dustin Poirier and does this shit. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? It was it was incredible. It was incredible. And then, of course, Poirier fires it up on him. And uh, Poirier's hand combinations are incredible. He's got a bit of that Nicky Holtzkin thing where he can go touch, 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 and then not only change power but change rhythm on you as well. And he can do two, three shots behind the touching. He's really, really good about that. Sort of delayed patterns, changing patterns. He's really, really good about that. And he just put it on him. I know some people might have had an issue with the stoppage. I didn't. I mean, look, guys. Justin Gaethje, I tweeted this out as well, and I, and I stand by it. I don't know who in MMA has willingly sacrificed their body more on the altar of competitive glory than him. Now, to be clear, there are people who have taken maybe more damage than him, um, but it might have been in sort of this accumulated way. It might have been in this accumulated way without much competitive glory. But look at what I'm saying here. This is a guy who's competing at the very elite levels of this sport, and he's out there doing it um, in the most absurd, self-destructive way with still a pretty high degree of success the whole time. I, I've just never seen anything quite like that. You know, you can see guys who do that, but they are, you know, regional level fighters who might flirt with the upper level. But, you know, those guys at the elite level, they're such good, precise strikers. They put them out pretty quickly. Uh, not Justin Gaethje. Justin Gaethje has a bit of that Yoel Romero thing going on. Where, if you go back and you look at my Monday Morning Analyst on MMAfighting.com's YouTube channel, we talked about what, what Yoel was doing in the Luke Rockhold fight. And, Luke, and, and Yoel Romero is not what I would call a two-way striker. He just spends portions of the fight shelled up, right, parrying shots and blocking them and kind of getting out of the way. And then when he wants to go, then he punches. But he doesn't, like, pull and then counter. He doesn't jab, jab, cross, get out of the way, and then counter. It's not really what he does. Uh, he just kind of does defense, 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 and then offense, offense, offense. Justin Gaethje's a little bit similar. Now, he does kind of shell up, shell up, shell up, and then he'll throw a leg kick, and he does that over and over and over again. But what I'm saying is, people were like, oh my God, Dustin Poirier has beaten the shit out of him in those first two rounds. And make no mistake, he was putting it on him, okay? But that's part of this crazy, mad genius thing 
that Justin Gaethje does. He knows at punching race. Does he, do you think Justin Gaethje really thinks he's going to outslug it with Dustin Poirier in terms of like the slickness of it and the timing of it and like the mult maybe the multitude of it if he could hurt him, but just strike for strike in boxing? I don't think he thinks he can outbox these guys, but I think he thinks he can outbox them if he gets them tired, if he really takes away the shots, if hey maybe he can just land a big one over the top and then follow up on it, but not. I don't think he... I interviewed him this week. I've interviewed him many times. I don't think he thinks he's going to be like some boxing savant or something like that. I don't, that doesn't that doesn't ring true for me. So in any case... Um, oh my God. So finally he finishes him off and Herb Dean stops it and, and that's the fight. Ladies and gentlemen, that is an easy fight of the year contender. Ladies and gentlemen, that is an easy... Uh, a couple of those might even be rounds of the year, the first and the third. Uh, and, and, and what do you want to say about both guys? Let's start with the winner and the victor here, if I can. I'd like to say something really nice about both of them, but in particular, the winner. Dustin Poirier, man, never forget. Like, let's talk about his record for a second. This was a guy, look, talk about his Zufa losses. His Zufa losses include, now this is all the way back in 2010, but Danny Castillo. Danny Castillo is no longer even competing. Here's Dustin Poirier still, still out there doing it. He has that win over Max Holloway. Of course, that was still very early in Max Holloway's tenure. He has a loss from that fight here in Fairfax, Virginia to Chan Sung Jung. He lost to Cub Swanson. Then he lost to Conor McGregor at UFC 178. And then folks forget about this. He lost to Michael Johnson all the way back in 2016 in like what, Hidalgo, Texas. And I think a lot of folks left him for dead after that. You know, I think a lot of folks said, you know what, he's a good fighter. Yeah, he beat Joseph Duffy. Yeah, he beat Yancey Medeiros. Yeah, he beat Carlos De... De um, Diego Ferreira, but he's not hes not that next level guy. Look at Dustin Poirier now. Wow. What an incredible show of resilience. What an incredible show of technique. There are some issues about the strategy there. One of the things that Eddie Alvarez told me on Friday was that if you have to really stay in that pocket and stay in that pocket because as you leave and come out, especially as, as you, you know, bop, 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 and then you try to exit, he likes to get you on the exit. And you saw... Uh, Justin have a lot of success with him getting Poirier on the exit. So there were some issues related to that, but but the but the the grind he was just willing to put himself through through some very I know some folks were saying it wasn't true through some very in my judgment legitimate eye pokes. We can all go review and see what happens after the fact, but it seemed pretty legitimate to me. Uh, I, you you almost got to feel proud for the guy. You know, to get dusted like the way he did against Conor McGregor and everyone thought he was going to be the guy to stop him and that was going to be the hype train. To go back to lightweight, to lose to Michael Johnson. And he lost in the first round within like two minutes. Um, and then to come back, beat Jim Miller. He had that fight with Eddie Alvarez. You can say what you want about it. Then he beat Anthony Pettis and then he just beat Justin Gaethje. Wow, man. Wow. What a win for Dustin Poirier, man. What a comeback. And I don't mean merely in this fight, but in his career generally. What a, what a you know... Everybody in life and in their career as athletes, they will peak at different times. You guys have been following the story of this basketball player, Andre Ingram. He had to spend a decade in the G League just fucking around playing for like, you know, I don't know, um, the Richmond molesters or whatever the teams were at that level. And it 10 years, 10 years. And then he finally got a shot and he waited out. Now, Dustin Poirier is not that guy. He's been out here competing with the best for a very long time, but my point being is he's only now just beginning to really peak, and he's had to take a ton of abuse to get there, but man, you just have to take your hat off to that competitor. 
just to show the hand skills that he did, the tenacity that he did, the perseverance that he did, the composure that he did, the cardio that he did. I'm, 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 I'm so impressed by him. And now that takes us to Justin Gaethje, who at 29 years old is in a bit of a different position now. So, of course, he came into the UFC uh, undefeated. And he had a record of 17-0 prior to entering the UFC, now 18-0 with a win over Michael Johnson. But let's sort of add up those UFC wins here a little bit. Now, that Michael Johnson fight, he won fair and square. And it only went two rounds, although it went almost the entirety of the first two rounds. Um, but there was a ton of damage incurred in that fight. Then he goes to the Eddie Alvarez fight, and that one was razor thin too, but he took a ton of abuse in that one and lost it. Then you have this fight where, again, you know, especially late, maybe not early on, but especially late, he was taking, a t uh, he was, it was very competitive, let's say, because he was taking a ton of abuse early. So it was very competitive, but then he lost it, and then ultimately he also took a ton of abuse in that fight too. I'm just saying, he came this close to losing the Michael Johnson fight. He did lose the Eddie Alvarez fight, and he did lose the Poirier fight. He got stopped in both of them. Um, there's a big question about his future. Now, it would be very, very foolish to write him off, but this guy is just treating his body like a credit card, just charging all that punishment. Just charge it, charge it, charge it. Man, the bill's going to come due, man. And I don't know when that's going to be. It could be a month, six months, a year, two years. I don't really know. Um, maybe as he slides back in competition, because there's going to be a re-altering of the rankings upcoming, then what you'll get is somebody who can recalibrate and do better. I did not see his cardio fade, which was a big problem in the first, well, excuse me, it was a problem in the Alvarez fight. So there's something to be said for that. Now you could say how much Poirier attacked the body, but okay. Insofar as we can say, was his cardio an issue in this fight? No. So it's not like he anything is changing about the way in which he's competing. He's still doing all the things that have brought him success. It's just that I really wonder at the UFC level, at the let's say top five UFC level, is that really a sustainable model? You know, when you're in the World Series of Fighting, or or you're fighting six to ten or ten to fifteen level lightweights, it probably works just fine. But when you start getting to that Eddie Alvarez level, when you start getting to now the Dustin Poirier level, there's limited and diminishing returns with that with that kind of a style and and each time he doesn't get to go back and just um totally heal you know he has to go back and 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 this damage is is all baked in for the next fight so you know look let me be clear i don't i want justin gaethje around as long as he wants to be around as long as it's ethical to have him around in terms of you know what we allow a person to take and as long as the commission will sanction him, because he is just the most... Let's just be clear about this. Justin Gaethje is the most fan-friendly fighter I've ever seen. <laughs> I, 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 don't, I don't know how that's even debatable. Who could be more fan-friendly than him? Especially at the elite level, anyway. Like, he's just built for, like, fun, you know? Um, so... Uh, I, I respect that completely, and we want him around, and I and I really appreciate everything he's done. But holy shit, this is beginning to get uh, to be a lot for him, man. And uh, wow, so the UFC rankings as it stands currently, I've got like four screens open here, so please forgive me. But the uh, let's see, the lightweight division as it stands now, this will change come Monday or so. But, of course, Habib's your champion. They have one, Conor McGregor, two at Ferguson, three, Alvarez, then four, Barboza, five, Dustin Poirier. I'm guessing maybe there might be a shift there. 
they might bump Dustin up just below Eddie or somebody bump him up above. So we'll put him put him in that top four space. And then you have Justin Gaethje at six. He might drop below Kevin Lee, maybe above Nate Diaz. Hard to say exactly what that rankings crew will do. You never really know. Um, but there probably will be some reordering there. Uh, but man, man, what a win by Dustin Poirier. Wow. Is that... When you look at the wins on his career, here's what here's the here are the wins on Dustin Poirier's career. Justin Gaethje, Anthony Pettis. Anthony Pettis might have a bigger name, but that fight wasn't as tough as this one. And the Eddie Alvarez one was no contest. Jim Miller, Bobby Green, Joe Duffy, Yancey Medeiros, blah, 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 blah. Is this the best win on his career? It might be. It might be. And he's, let's see, how old is he? I think he just, he's 29 too. 29 years old. And uh, he just got, I think, the biggest win of his career in what is arguably the fight of the year, certainly a contender with a couple of rounds of the year built in. I, I'm just I'm just so happy. I'm just so thrilled. And I'm so excited that like there's when elite MMA does what it's supposed to, when it when it when it when it lives and breathes and occupies the space in the way that it's supposed to, there's nothing like it. There is there is I, I love other sports. If you listen to my radio show, I talk other sports all the time. There's nothing like it for me when elite MMA is that way and, and Maybe fights with Gaethje are uh, messy, right? They're not exactly. They, there's a there's level there's a lot of technique involved, but they're not exactly like chess matches in that way. But only elite guys can beat him, right? Only the very 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 best guys can beat him, and uh, I'm just I feel so privileged to have watched that, and I hope you guys do as well, man. That was. That was something else. That was something different. And I, and I'm, you can see me. I'm just sort of effusive with praise with it. But let's sort of stay on, uh, focused here if we can and talk a little bit of the rest of that card. Again, if you want to come back, we will. Shoot me a tweet at LThomasNews. And please consider donating, like, and subscribe. All right, you guys get the whole gist here. All right, your co-main event, Alex Oliveira. Defeating Carlos Condit via submission guillotine choke at 317 of the second round. Now, what happened there? Hmm. Um, going into this contest, I was a little bit worried that Carlos might have been shopworn. You didn't exactly see it in the Magni fight, but you could tell that maybe we were headed in that direction. And he got taken down a bunch in that one, so you just couldn't really tell. It was just... It wasn't a strong performance, but it wasn't like BJ Penn against Yuri Rodriguez or even BJ Penn against Dennis Seaver. Um, I, I, I alluded to it on my my live chat during the week, but one of the telltale signs that a fighter is done is when they kind of just pose off and they don't really throw and they get hit and they just kind of go back and they get hit and they just kind of go back and they don't really do a whole lot. And you go back and watch that Yair fight, even the Dennis Seaver fight, even less so in the Seaver fight, but still... He just sits there and just absorbs these shots and doesn't really do a whole lot back. That is not what happened with Carlos Condit at all. At all. That's not what I saw even a little bit. So that's the good news. The good news is I do not see much evidence at all that he's over it or washed or shopworn or whatever description you want to give there. However, there might be a question about to what extent he's actually competitive as, as a welterweight. That is the bigger issue, I think. It's not that he's over it, that he can't handle this competition anymore. But is he one of the better welterweights in the world? That's a bigger problem. Alex Oliveira is very talented, but he went into this fight unranked on, what, two, three weeks notice? And was able to take down Carlos Condit, I won't say at will, but pretty regularly. 
um, and was able to just offensively be one step ahead, to be quite honest. And that shouldn't happen for somebody who's a top-tier Walter Wade. I'm not saying it's easy to beat Alex Oliveira, far from it. But what I'm saying is if you're a top five, top ten guy, that kind of thing shouldn't happen to you. Um, now, it's not the end of the world to not be a top ten guy. It's not the end of the world to be a top you know, 15 or maybe 20 welterweight. But I think some people had considered Condit to be you know, top five, top three. And I think that's probably, there's enough evidence to conclude that that's not really what we're working with at this point. Um, you never know. Uh, rehabilitation can sometimes take a longer time than you think, but I'm just saying at this, as we speak today, I, I would not rank him inside the top 15 at welterweight. Um, so how did it happen? Well, he got hit with an upkick as everybody saw from the ground as he was coming on top and he seemed to just sort of slump over, not totally like lose consciousness, but it wasn't exactly like he kept his footing all that great. He gets rolled by this like bizarre scissor sweep kind of thing. And then they get up and he shoots and he shoots on a double with his head on the outside and he locks up the guillotine, turns him, rolls him, drives his hips in and Carlos Condit, you can see, fished in the one hand to pry the elbow open, right? Because if I'm, folks, let me pull my screen up here so I can look. A lot of people think a guillotine is this and sitting back and it's, I mean, you can get guys like that, but it's really not. Your elbow, it's like a rear naked choke. Whenever you do rear naked choke, you want your elbow almost center line on them a little bit. Uh, you don't, it doesn't have to be that way, but that's sort of an ideal scenario. You should think of a guillotine the same way. You want to get that elbow deep, really deep. And that's why a lot of these, again, I can't move my shoulder, but a lot of these guys come over with that high elbow guillotine when they wrap the blade of the hand. That's what they're doing here. And you can see that elbow. He didn't quite have it deep, but he had it He had it just past this. He had it a little bit like that, almost like you're rocking a baby. right? And so he pulled on it. And nevertheless, there was this opening and you could see Condit fish inside to pry it. And when he pried it, it gave him a little bit of space, but it wasn't enough. And in the end, I think his corner thought, well, excuse me, Olivera's corner, I think they thought Condit went out. But either way, he tapped. Um, he looked okay up until that point. Again, not like, oh my God, Carlos Condit, the champion, is back. Good, but he looked pretty good. He was aggressive. Um, he landed some big shots. He was, uh, it was Carlos Condit that you kind of understood. You know, it's amazing. Everyone's like, how can someone's takedown defense be so bad if they've trained all this time? And I always try to tell people, you can train forever. It doesn't mean you're going to get good at something. You can get incrementally better than you were the next day. But, like, just think about it. You, you're gonna, you, could take a, you could take 118-year-olds and teach them jujitsu and say you're going to go compete at the black belt level by the time you're 22. First of all, the majority of them won't even be black belts by that point. And the ones who will, there's no guarantee they'll be good enough to compete at that level or even win. Not everyone just gets good enough to do it. And that's okay because he has the secondary backup. Carlos Condit's never had good takedown defense, but he's always had a pretty dynamic guard. Usually good strikes from underneath, good control. Um, he, you could see he was trying some active sweeps from the bottom. A couple times he got one, then one time he got close but couldn't quite get it. But uh, in that sense, it was all him, but it just wasn't effective enough. There just wasn't that next gear he was hitting where he was able to find a way around it. And uh, that's a credit to Oliveira because he's a very good fighter. And I think probably the switch here will be that Condit will drop out of the top 15 or certainly below, I think, the, the, the 12th space that he occupied. And you're probably going to see Oliveira move into it, which is a, which is a rightful trade. Um, but Carlos Condit now is going to be what? Lost three, he's 33 years old. 
And he has lost, wow, four in a row. Jesus, that is four in a row. So he's lost to Robbie Lawler, Demian Maia, Neil Magny, Alex Oliveira. He hasn't won a fight since 2015, May of 2015. So nearly three years. Um, I thought he won the Robbie Lawler fight, but he certainly didn't win the Maya, Magny, or Oliveira fights. So just keep that in mind. Um, you know, it sucks, but I don't know what he's going to do. I don't want to presume that he's going to call it a day. Maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. But he certainly is at a point where he might need to reevaluate um, his career priorities because I think for now, and maybe forever, but certainly for now, his days as an elite welterweight are over. Um, that's not, again, I, there's been a lot of guys I've counted out and they've come back and proven me wrong. So I would never close the door on Carlos Condit. But I think we all need to take a hard look here at this and be sober about our judgment and say there is enough to conclude as we speak that uh, either the game has passed him by or there are maybe some other issues contributing to his lack of um, competitive success. Um, okay. So with that out of the way, stop recording. There we go. All right. Um, in a fight that I was very interested in, Israel Adesanya took, takes on Marvin Vittori, winning via split decision. I don't know how you give that two rounds to Marvin Vittori. But uh, Israel Adesanya looked to me uh, really incredible. What do we have here? They call in me. Okay, that's fine. Um I thought he looked tremendous. Perfect? No. Some issues to work on. Um, but I thought he won two rounds pretty cleanly. You can give that third round to Vittori for top control and damage on top. Uh, but I, I felt like the better fight. This fight kind of was what we kind of thought it was going to be. You knew Adesanya was the better fighter. But you knew that Vittori was a major physical presence who will probably work harder, will absolutely get in your face, will be willing to take damage more, and has this kind of physicality he can bring either through top control or pressing you against the fence. Like, he's sort of really good about that. Um, and so, it kind of played out in that way. Adesanya did an incredible job just sort of pulling away and getting and slipping and, and leaning. Maybe leaning a little bit too much, but doing a great job switching stances as he changed angles. Just a phenomenal job with all of that. I think some people think he, he might have some power punching issues but I don't really believe that I think his power punching is probably just fine but the bigger issue is that he's a, a smaller middleweight not so much in frame but in size you can see Vittori was just sort of physically a, a bigger load than this guy um, you know he makes weight at 185 no problem I don't know if he has any intention of driving to Walter I'm just saying he's not on the bigger end of that um, so that's a bit of an issue for him, but I thought his striking, I mean, what do you want to say about it? One of the things I really love about his striking is that he goes everywhere. He doesn't headhunt. Um, he can, he, he can be, he can be offensive and first, he can be reactive. He can be reactive with counters and then combinations behind it. He can go to the legs, to the body, to the head, a combination of all three. Uh, he just really kind of, mi he mixes it up in a very interesting, dynamic, puzzling way, even for an observer much less for another competitor that's just really spectacular to watch. There is a question now, though, about uh, not so much his ability to finish per se, but he needs he is going to be a bit of a volume guy. I don't think he's going to be a one-hitter quitter. In other words, he doesn't have bad power, but I don't know that he has like crippling power, right? Probably very good power, very good accuracy. Vittori, by the way, if you've watched his fights, you know this guy has just a, an absurd chin. 
So for me, the issue is going to be he a he takes time to to warm up, and then he begins to really let things go, and he needs distance and space to do that, um, to really bring his game to life. Vittori later got in his face and took that away from him. So when you watch Adesanya's takedown defense, my major takeaway from it is that it's actually pretty good and pretty technical. But and and the even better news is that he has a commitment to resistance. In other words, a lot of guys know proper takedown defense, but some of takedown defense, what they don't really tell you is, yes, you need to do all of the right technical things. But you heard Dominic Cruz say today in other scenarios, and you and if you've ever wrestled, a wrestling coach has screamed this in your ear, who wants it more? There is something to be said for just you know, the hustle of it all. And he doesn't exactly have that wrestler's mentality, but I don't necessarily also detect a quitter's mentality. It's not what I'm saying at all. What I am saying is it's something in between where so long as he has the technique in his mind to stop what he sees, he has relentless resistance. He will keep fighting that no matter what. When he feels like he's out of answers, I see him look to reset, which is common. It's not a knock. It happens to the best of them, right? Well, not the very, 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 very best of them, but it have, it's very common even among elite competitors. Okay, uh, move, 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 check. All right, let's restart. And so you saw him go flat on his back, feet on the ground, right? Not really looking to, you know, by, uh, inside bicep control or whatever. You saw, you saw that a little bit. So that tells me the way he's going to excel. And by the way, his takedown defense was really good in the middle of the cage, like phenomenal. He could drop his hips on a sprawl quickly and create separation, even with that long reach. Very impressive. All I'm saying is, as a developing prospect, one of the things that's going to really help him with his takedown defense is, um, you know, working on that mindset of the re- the resistance to giving in, as well as additional technical details that give him the confidence to keep resisting. Um, but for Vittori, you know, I think he 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 seemed to be upset and thought he had won this. I I don't know why. Um, he thought he did again commendable effort for sure third round no problem but overall he got pieced up a little bit and and Adesanya did whatever he wanted to I don't know what he said after the fact something like I just shit on your grave or something (laughs) I don't know exactly what his what his post-fight comments were but in any case uh I don't know what people are saying on Twitter um so where does he go from here? He said he wanted to get back in there. I think you give him another guy like Vittori, if you can find it, another middleweight guy who's good but not great, uh, physical, more physical than him, get in, gets in his face. He just needs to answer this because if someone just stands with him, he's probably going to knock him out, right? You can tell that fairly easily. On the other hand, um, if somebody's going to really get in his face like Diego Sanchez style, it's not that he just goes down. Like he's not like he has Carlos kind of takedown defense. Far from it. He had, like let me be clear about this. He has very good takedown defense. But if someone just really has this like you know insane commitment to it and really gets on top, there are levels to this that he clearly is building towards. He hasn't quite reached yet. So I think all these people saying, "Oh, put him in the top ten. Let's right away give him something for you know to a ranked fighter. Let's just you know put him on a title track. Let's not do that." I think it will be inevitable that he will get on that, but we don't need to expedite it. Let's 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 naturally and organically build um, in that direction. So great win for him, learning experience. We'll see how things go the next time. To me, it was like, did you guys see Adesanya like at the weigh-ins? 
he, uh, the ceremonial ones, he cut his shirt, then ripped it, and then couldn't rip it all the way and just kind of took it off. It was like that. It was like the ripping was nice, but it wasn't enough to get the shirt all the way off. So, you know, just like he can work on the technique to rip it all the way off, he can work on the rest of his technique to bring his game um, fully t- to life. And then last but not least for the main card, we're not going to go into super detail for the rest of the card, but last but not least for the main card, uh, Michelle Waterson defeating Courtney Casey via split decision. What a tremendous, tremendous contest this was. What did this come down to? For me, Michelle Waterson won this fight for two reasons. One, her wrestling was phenomenal. As you notice, that high crotch lift off to the single, right? Head ear to the outside, right? And and uh, they're running the pipe. Um, uh, rather than a high crotch lift, you might come up and then you look over their shoulder and then you step to the outside, you swisher your legs, and then you drive across their back. That's not what she does in the high crotch finish. She would get the high crotch and then finish with the single leg. That's what they were talking about, switching things up like Habib does, right? Because a high crotch, you might come in real high on it, gripping around, um, but then you switch your hips and then you drive across their back. That's not what you're doing. This time you drive in, come across, and then you take them down this way off a single leg finish. That's what she was doing, but that was one thing. She had a good double. Michelle Waterson won this on guts and wrestling is really the answer because she's outsized. Um, she's a natural atom weight. Now, maybe she says she doesn't want to make that cut anymore, which I respect, but you can clearly tell there are other women in this weight class routinely bigger than she is. She would be a much better fit physically in terms of her dimensions for atom weight, but there is no atom weight in the UFC, so if you want to make some money, you got to come up. In any case, um, I thought Casey won this fight, but the big reason Casey probably didn't win this fight was because of those armbar attempts. Now, I am never going to be one of these guys who... Well, not never, I suppose. I try really hard, believe it or not, to be a guy who doesn't get on here and says, this is what fighters should do. Fighters should do whatever fighters feel like they need to do to win. That's always going to be the answer. Always. They don't hire me as coaches, nor should they, because I'm not qualified to be one. I'm not an expert. I'm none of those things. But I can just tell you, I know it to be true, that, uh, and, and, and you saw DC say, oh, Ronda Rousey was really good about the belly down armbar. Ronda Rousey was really good about the belly down armbar. And someone showed me this a couple of years ago, and it was like a light bulb went off in my head. If you go for the armbar off from the guard, right? I switch underneath. Now I've created an angle on you because you can't do an armbar like this. You mean you can't with a triangle? But if you don't have a triangle, usually on an armbar, you want to create a 90 degree angle underneath. You want to pull them close to you. You want to spin underneath, right? You want to have their elbow um, inside your hip range, right? You want to have nice control over the wrist, thumb pointing to the sky, the whole bit. You want to crunch your hamstrings, which he wasn't doing, which was another problem, right? Part of the whole thing about arm uh, with an armbar is you actually want to point your feet to the sky because even with your even with your forearm, you can if you just do this either way, it'll make your forearm move. Take your leg with your calf, touch your calf, and then. Pull your toes up to the sky and touch your calf. You'll feel your calf open a little bit and get bigger. So when you do that, you're crunching your hamstrings. You're putting your toes to the sky. You're making this super tight move. And yes, you're opening your hips up for the elbow crunch uh, and breaking of it. But everything else is compact, actually. It's a big mistake that people make. In any case, but that's neither here nor there. So let's say you do that. You, 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 you create the angle and now you're opening for it. And you want to go belly down. You can do the belly down, but when you go belly down, you have to have your outside leg on the back of their head. Why? You ever seen the fight between uh, Hanato Sabral and Sukaju? There's other fights where it's happened. He hit him with a three-quarter stack. One hand behind the neck, 
one hand on the head underneath the arm, and then you drive them over as you pull up on their elbow joint, excuse me, their, their um, shoulder joint, and you drive the head under. It actually turns them. It's the same thing with an arm bar. As you go underneath them, and yes, you have to hook the, uh, the leg, and you have to bring it around you, actually. You don't head it over. You have to bring it around in a circle. So there's a technique to that as well. But your legs actually act like a scissor, like that. So one leg goes underneath the body. The other leg scissors the back of the head and drives it underneath them. And that's what causes them to turn. And why is that important? Because if you don't do that shit and the arm bar, if it's really deep and you just go belly down without doing that, you can just finish them there because the arm bar, they're stuck. But if the arm bar is at all not quite there and you don't put a shin behind the back of their head and you just go belly down, what are they going to do? They're going to helicopter around which she did every single time. Every time. Because there's nothing controlling her body and her head. Nothing. Even, even with the hamstring, she wasn't crunching it all together. The armbar looks super simple, and the armbar is something you see a lot of. And again, man, if you can just slap on a quick armbar, it doesn't have to be all that perfect. Um, and you just get the elbow past the hips, and everyone's, you know, they get the opponent to scream. Well, hey, who cares, right? All's well that ends well. I'm just pointing out to you, there's levels to the arm bar. You know what? As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, um, where did I put that? Where did I? Here we go. Here we go. There are levels to the arm bar. The Jujigatami is what they call the arm bar in uh, judo. Jujigatami is the arm bar. This is an entire book. This is an entire book on every armbar variation you can imagine. Look at this. It's 420 pages of just armbar variations. There is science to the armbar. It's a lot of it. A lot of it. You can study it over and over and over and over and over again. So I'm just saying... Courtney Casey, I thought I, I thought Courtney Casey won, and she was just bruising her up. But those armbar attempts not being very close, they were kind of close, but not really, was a function of the, how loose they were. People think when you go to the armbar, you're like lounging in a beach chair. You're not. There was that, that last armbar. Do you see how long Courtney Casey's body was on that? Should be the exact opposite. The last thing on this, I went to a Gary Tonin seminar years ago, and he showed us something. If you just try to hold the arm, but you don't engage your hamstrings on the arm bar and try to hold somebody, they escape very quickly, right? If you don't hold the arm hardly at all, but you engage your hamstrings super tight, pinch your knees together the whole bit, they'll still escape, but it will take much longer, much longer. I, I don't see enough technicality in the UFC generally about the arm bar. And I'm telling you, Rousey was good at them because she knew the Jujigatami Encyclopedia backwards and forwards. She knew you had to, on the back of the head, scissor them over, turn them, whip them around with the leg. It's a whole, it's a whole routine. Anyway, so that's that. All right, so that's the main card. Let's go through this a little bit kind of quickly for the rest of the card if we can. And again, appreciate you guys watching. Thumbs up and subscribe to the channel if you want. Any kind of donations are appreciated. Okay, shoe face. Antonio Carlos Jr. defeating Tim Boach at 428 of the first round. What would I say about this contest? I would say this. Um, nobody in jiu-jitsu has big man, excuse me, in MMA. Nobody has big man jiu-jitsu like he does. 
in addition to the fact that nobody can combine that big man jujitsu. When I mean that, I'm like, you know, top control, heavy, cross-facing, pressure passing, just grinding you, holding you down, dominating you with physical position on top. That's big man jiu-jitsu. He has small man jiu-jitsu and modern man jiu-jitsu as well. He is as good underneath as he is on top, and on top, he can play that heavy style, and underneath, he can play a dynamic style. He, if anyone uh, watches competitive jiu-jitsu, he reminds me very much of uh, Abraham Marte. Uh, he's incredible. In MMA, and this was a big win over Tim Boach. Tim Boach, I believe, though he did have the win over Johnny Hendricks. However, he has lost. Yeah, he's two. He's 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 won. He's won three of his last five. But before that, he lost three in a row. So, you know, definitely getting closer to the end of his career here. Muslim Salikov defeating Ricky Rainey at 412. I was just about to say, hey, the UFC tenure of Muslim Salikov not really going all that well, and then he landed that beautiful right hand over the top, tremendous. I thought Ricky Rainey did what he could on short notice. They noted the shifting where you're like this. You can see it. Oops. Hang on. <laughs> you see the shifting um, where you see the guy coming and you just sort of, sort of slide it in the pocket. And so the strike comes and it may bump off of you, but it doesn't really hit. He was doing a pretty good job of that. I thought he was doing a good job with his pressuring, trying to stay forward, stay in the face of Muslim Salikov, the whole nine. Um, but it just wasn't enough. Salikov was able to time that right over the top, I believe, uh, and then put him away. Really good job by him. John Moraga defeating Wilson Hayes. Man, what a showcase. Um, 29-28 across the board. This one, to me, could have gone either way. I think I had it for Moraga, but I could see a, a scorecard for Hayes. But Moraga is one of these guys who about a year or so ago was ready to just call it quits on the sport. And look at him now. He has won, I think, what, three in a row? Yes. He beat Ashkan Mokaterian. That's the fight he was like, I don't know if I want to do this anymore because he had lost three in a row. And then he beat Magomed Babulatov, one of Katarov's guys. Kadyrov's guys, and then he just beat Wilson Hayes. So, tremendous uh, 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 career turnaround and perseverance again. I love these guys who persevere. Tremendous perseverance by him um, to get the win in the way that he did. Wilson Hayes, man, you know, I, I know that that guillotine that Moraga was jumping on must have been super tempting because I, I bet he's got a really good one uh, in the training room. But Wilson Hayes, even Demetrius Johnson didn't try to go after his arm until after three rounds of beating him up. You know, like Wilson Hayes has extraordinarily good jujitsu, even in MMA, um, and you gotta you gotta hurt him a lot more before you're gonna get him to tap in any capacity. It wasn't like that was bad to go for it the first time, but after that, he kept going for a little bit. I was like, what is he doing that for? But you know, Moraga showing good base, showing good ability to get his back to the fence, showing good ability to rotate onto his knees. Um, which is no small matter, and then being able to separate, of course, doing great work. Um, that jumping knee was tremendous. He had good shots to the body he was landing. Hayes just kept sort of walking into him, and then Moraga was timing it and then letting him know letting him know uh, who was in charge in that space. Fantastic career turnaround for him. Felt bad for Wilson Hayes, you know, coming off the, the death of his brother, but um, nice to see a guy like Moraga, you know, try and stick it out and then, and then be rewarded for his own uh, effort as a consequence. Brad Tavares defeating Christoph Jotko. I missed most of this fight, uh, but it was a nice one for him. I was showering, so I apologize. Gilbert Burns, this is the Fight Pass card, defeating Dan Moray at 59 seconds of the second round. I mean, with a <laughs> an incredible punch that just left Moray kind of slumping like a puppet without a marionette. Uh, brutal. Uh, what do you want to say about this one? Burns' the striking looked incredible. He called out Olivier Aubin Marcier, who retweeted my tweet noting that saying he had no interest in it so that was kind of uh, interesting but the one thing about Gilbert Burns is go back and watch the finish 
So he, he times a right over the top from a kick, right? So if someone throws a kick from the left you, on the same side, you'll punch over the top, right? Because they'll usually be throwing a kick almost like this. They're usually having their hand extended. In the extension, a lot of people don't cover their chin. So you can pop a shot over the top. Even then, you can hit them on the crown of the head. In any case, there was nothing to that. So uh, Burns came around and just clocked him. And then Moray was trying to struggle to his feet. Go back and watch how Burns doesn't follow in a straight line. He actually resets his feet to find just the right angle for the punch. Now, once he gets him up against the fence, he just kind of plants his feet and bombs on him. But I want you to go back as he's pursuing a retreating Moray, or Moret, whatever his last name is, he actually rotates his angle just to find the right shot to put himself out of position relative to the punches of Moray and to put himself in position for his own strikes. Very, very high-level stuff did that. And we're talking about a jiu-jitsu world champ, by the way. That is incredible growth. Very impressive by Gilbert Burns. Uh, Lauren Mueller defeating Shayna Dobson, 29-28 across the board. Don't have a whole lot to say about that. Yushin Okami defeating Diego or Diego Lima, 30-26 across the board. Uh, Diego Lima, I guess, separating or breaking a rib at some point in that contest. You know what he was doing? He was shooting on Diego Lima. Lima would stuff it, couldn't create separation, and then Okami was good enough to then, uh, wouldn't get overly underhooked, could then re-pummel come around the corner, and then get the body lock every time. So he would stop the first shot, and then Okami would just get the body lock, tip against the fence, and then trip, pull, drive, the whole nine, and then take his back, and then it was just he grappling controlled him. He was doing college rides where he was two hands behind the armpits and then leaning, sitting on a leg at the same time. So then you're forcing the hands of Diego Lima to the mat. That's what you want. You want to put make them put their hands on the mat, and from that point you can twist and turn them. Um, take their back. You can do a whole lot of things. And he was just doing it over and over and over again. Great, great defense uh, by Diego Lima. But Yushin Okami looked like shredded and enormous at a welterweight, and just just had not merely better grappling, but just a. He seemed to be using like his veteran experience about what would work for the judges, what would work in this contest, what would work in making the reads of what Lima would give him, and and then just went back to the well over and over again. Uh, Adam, I call him Wizoric because I know a guy who has spelled that, who has that last name, but he's American. But uh, was it Wizoric, however you want to pronounce it, defeating Argent Buller via Omoplata, second ever Omoplata in the UFC. Um, this was bad. This was bad for Argent Buller, if we can be quite honest. You should not be losing to Omoplata in MMA. Now, look, the rule on any submission is pretty clear, okay? The rule is as follows Once a submission is locked on, you have to respect it. How it got there is a different story for the moment. But once somebody applies something like that, you absolutely must respect it. And um, it doesn't matter if it's a white belt who puts it on you. It doesn't matter if that person got lucky. It doesn't matter any of that. What matters is um, it's there, and you have to respect it. So by the time it got on, um, people say you shouldn't tap to it. Well, if a submission is on, you should, or at least you might have to. So in that sense, I don't I don't fault him. But here's the problem. Very easy question. If I have my knees on the ground and I'm sitting my ass on top of my heels and I'm straight up, can I be omoplotted? I mean, technically you can be omoplotted from any position, but the chances are probably not. The way, let me pull this up so I can see myself. The way you get omoplotted is if this is your rear end and then you're forward, right? So if you're, if you're, if you're on your knees and then your hands are out in front of you and there's space between that, 
Like you're almost like you're on all fours, right? That's how you can get omoplotted because you don't have, you, you're on your base technically, but you don't have your base underneath you. And you've created an opening lane for the leg to swim around and come over the top. That's why when you're in guard on somebody, you can be, if you need to for a moment, you can put your head in their chest if you keep your hands on their biceps or in tight, right? So you don't put your hands on the mat because you put your hands on the mat, you can get omoplotted very fast. But you just keep them up and tight. But for the most part, you want to have good posture in guard. You want to have nice, good posture. You want to pin their hips to the ground. You want to pin their shoulders to the ground, right? You want to have good posture underneath you. And you want to have live toes. So what happened to Arjun Buller? Number one, he had no live toes. He didn't have his toes underneath him. He had his instep touching the mat rather than his toes touching the mat. There's a big difference, right? If I do this, how strong is my push? Not very. If I do this, how strong is my push? Very strong. Same way. If I put my toes underneath the mat, I can drive up very quickly. Um, and by the way, you notice in the first round, he didn't pass guard. Here's the rule about passing guard. Can you pass guard on your knees? Yes, you can, but it's kind of difficult, very difficult. The best way to pass guard, you got to stand. Not necessarily every time, but for the most part, you need to stand. Maybe you don't stand all the way up. You can have halfway bent over, but you kind of want to be on your feet. That's the best way to pass guard, and he never even attempted to do that. So then you go to the second round, and here's what happens. He's trying to cover Wizoric, or Wizoric, however you pronounce it, uh, and he's letting his shoulders get out in front. He's letting his shoulders get out in front of his rear end rather than all of it being in a straight line. And so, as a consequence, when you're sitting this way, you just create all the lanes to get wrapped up. So, getting pushed against the fence, all Wizoric had to do, or Wizoric, was just throw his leg behind, push the face away, and then he grabs behind the face like this, almost like a C-grip, and then sits up into it. Um, there are there were just so... It's like what Kurt Osiander says. Kurt Osiander has a video like, how do I... What's, what's a good triangle defense? And he puts himself in a triangle, and his answer is, he's like, okay, if you're here, you fucked up a long time ago. That's his answer. It's kind of a similar thing. Like, once the submission's on, I mean, there's not much you can do at that point. The, the point is, is that an omoplata, it's not like an armbar where you can whip into it. I mean, some people can, but for the, most people kind of like slowly get themselves into an omoplata, or they use the omoplata for a sweep. You actually see Wizoric get the omoplata locked up, and then... Rather than being side by side, you actually see Buller face him. Buller should have driven to his feet instantly, and he probably would have been lost. Instead, he decided to roll. Well, what did Wizoric do? He put his arm around his waist to prevent him from rolling. It was like, and he did all this like super delayed. It was just, it was just real bad defense. I mean, I don't know how else to say it. Like, it was not, not very high level defense um, for something that at this level. I mean, how many guys in, in, in heavyweight do omoplatas? Okay, not many, but you, if you want to fight the UFC, that that's not – you're not going to go very far if that's going to be a, a, a problem for you. He was doing well on the feet. He looked athletic. He had good takedowns. He had good fast hands, crisp combinations. I'm not sure why he kept taking him down, but it was not a strong showing um, for Arjun Buller. Alejandro Perez defeating Matthew Lopez. Um Great back and forth between those two. Lopez just kept ducking and ducking and ducking. And that wasn't the reason he lost. But after he took that big shot that ultimately led to the beginning of the end, um, he just then kept eating him and eating him because he wasn't even looking up. And by the way, he was kind of out on his feet, didn't drop. Ref still stopped it. I think that's a good call. And then Luke Sanders defeating Patrick Williams, 30-27 across the board. Patrick Williams had this like terrible gash here that nevertheless still didn't bleed all that bad. I'm not really sure why. But Luke Sanders, I, I have a high opinion of. And... 
he needs to work on, I think, some of his combinations. Um, not that they're not good, they're amazing, but the, he, he kind of kept going back to the same ones. I think if he would just add a couple more, man, it would bring his striking to life, you know? Because I think he's got, I think he's very athletic. I think he's very powerful, quick. He has good timing. He makes good reads. Uh, just needs to add a few more tools to the, to the tool belt, and he's going to start. He, he might start tearing some dudes up. But it was a good win. He got back in the winning track, so that's that. That was today's event. Um, also, what would I would say about the commentary? Did y'all notice that weird thing at the beginning of the night between DC and Cruz, where, where DC was like showing? I think it was the Mueller fight. Like, oh, Mueller's got this footwork like Dominic Cruz, something like that. And then Cruz was like, DC, please don't do that. Stop that. I don't enjoy this. So it was like, I couldn't tell if they were joking. Did y'all think they were joking? I couldn't tell if they were joking or not. It was kind of weird. Um, but I thought it was a pretty good combo altogether. Um, I actually liked the DC-Cruz combo better than the Smith-Rogan combo. I thought Smith was good. I didn't think Rogan had his best outing uh, last week. And I did think that Cruz... Look, I know some people think he's smug or that he's a curmudgeon, and maybe he is, but he delivers really good information, which is what I care about the most, and so does DC. Now, DC is happy-go-lucky, so that's even better. He's not a curmudgeon, but it's a nice little you know, nice little play between the two, so um, I like them. I know people have criticized Cruz for saying he makes his commentary makes reads like everyone should fight like him, and there is a little bit of that, but I still believe... I'd rather get more information, even if it's got a certain perspective, than somebody who doesn't have a whole lot of information. And Cruz has a ton of information to share. So um, big props to the broadcast for putting those two together. I really enjoyed it. Okay, so with that in there, if you have a question for Twitter, do that now. And, of course, I'll try and check the Super Chat uh, and see what we have there as well. Let me see if I can pull this joker up, please. How do I do that? I will go. Um, let's see. Bump, bada, bump, 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 bump. All right. Let's pull this up and I'll go to Twitter. Uh, uh, uh. Yes, there we are. Okay. All right, not a whole lot in the super chat, or maybe I'm misreading it. I don't know. Hard to say. So let's go to the Twitter feed if we can. Yes, we can. All right, shoot me that tweet if you feel so inclined. Right here, El Thomas News. Okay, here we are. Uh, what are your thoughts on Watterson's big holes in her game? I thought I saw her weaknesses because she got caught with a lot of hooks. And got caught with a lot of sub attempts, which makes me feel her jujitsu defense awareness is bad. Could be that. I think um, Courtney Casey has really quick hips. Like the good news about her arm bars is that she gets into position fast. She has a good spin. She has, she has good awareness for the position. She has a good feel. You can tell she got a really natural feel for it. It's just some of those finishing details are hard to come by. Plus, she has a good body type for it, long and lanky. Um, so I don't really mind that. Waterson. I mean, yes, of course they could always be better at submission awareness. But to me, it's like you're fighting somebody who's got a really good guard and a really good feel for it. It's just going to be hard to pass and to deal with that. Um, she just, to me, the bigger issue was Courtney Casey's finishing instincts and skills on that one. Um, let's see. With the log jam in the top five to eight in the UFC lightweight division, 
Do you believe the UFC will do Eddie Dustin too, just to stretch out until they figure out what to do or match up the winner of Barboza versus Lee? Yeah, this is the interesting one. So you got Barboza versus Lee coming up at the Atlantic City fight, right? So there's that. Spoke to Eddie Alvarez yesterday. He didn't seem interested in the Poirier fight. Here's his read on this, for whatever that's worth to you. His read is that... Uh, hold on. Let me pull this back up. His read is that, number one, did you guys see Ferguson's surgery picture? I mean, did you? Oh, here we go. Yes. Here are the uh, Super Chat uh, things. I'll read these here in a moment. Okay. Um, right? <laughs> okay. Did you guys see the picture of Ferguson's surgery? I thought Eddie made a pretty good point. Eddie's point was, you know, I, I thought it would be like some sort of arthroscopic fiber optic cable, like a little incision in the knee, and then, you know, uh, that would be that. No, they sliced the whole side of his leg open and, like, cracked it open like an egg. I mean, they went they went in there on that thing, right? So how long is he going to be out for? And if he comes back, is he going to be ready in the camp? Are there going to be injury concerns? Is he really going to want to take a top fight after that? He just didn't feel like it was a foregone conclusion. He'd be back soon and that would be ready for a, a premier opponent in that time. Connor, we'll see what happens with him, but he thinks that Connor may or may not come back and that would sort of leave Habib. Now that's a very charitable read. Let's assume the Ferguson part though is right. The Ferguson might be out longer than we think. That still leaves Connor and Habib together and I think it still leaves Dustin and Eddie too. I, I think that's the fight to make. They have unfinished business. Both of them have done something incredible in beating Justin Gaethje. Both of them are just war horses in that division. And it would be tremendous to see. It would be tremendous to see. So that's absolutely what uh, I'm in favor of. But it could be that depending on how things shake out, one of those guys ends up sitting and that someone else has to fight the winner of Lee versus Barboza. That's another possibility as well. How convoluted is the UFC lightweight division? We kind of just got to that. I can't help but think of Chris Lieben when I watched Justin in terms of willingness to take damage in order to give it. What do you think? Yes. Yes, but I'm not sure how highly ranked Chris Lieben ever was. Justin Gaethje is like way up there. Um, with the accuracy and wrestling stand-up game, what is a good next opponent for Israel Stylebender? Is it Brad Tavares a good matchup in your mind? Yes, would be a very good matchup, right? Because Brad is very talented. You know, every once in a while, Brad's one of these volume guys, right, where he's not going to just run over you in the first round. He kind of, like Israel, he kind of takes time to get going a little bit. And then he'll, he'll wow you with brilliance here or there. He'll land a big shot you didn't see coming. I think he also landed a right over the top. And then he had a peek out in his last fight. Like, even Joe Lozano and I were, like, tweeting back and forth about how fucking amazing it was. Like, an amazing peek out. Um and so I agree that would be kind of an interesting matchup. Maybe it's a little too much too soon, but it's somewhere in that ballpark I think would be a good one. So it says Poirier is an elite lightweight. The fight versus Gaethje was awesome, but is a hit. Uh, but he has hit a lot in his fights. Got KO'd a few times. Do you think he can improve his aspect of his game training, or does his wild offense? That I think to the extent, to the extent, Dustin wants to fight clean. Again, against Justin Gaethje, what can you do? But to the extent he wants to fight clean, he can and he will. He'll be very, very impressive in doing so. Um, and that would answer the question about his defense. In other words, he has all the tools to fight in a way to preserve himself. The question is, does he choose to fight that way? There's some weird thread I'm being tagged in here. I can't make heads or tails of it. So it says, the new setup looks great. Been a big fan of your content for years now. I'm happy to see you making big improvements. Thank you, guys. Glad you're noticing, man. Really appreciate it. Um, pretty much the most bankable fighter in the sport for a great fight and a damn good one to boot. Talking about Dustin Poirier. 
Uh, I feel like the main event finish was stained. Gaethje got poked in the eye at the end of the third. Herb didn't call it, and Gaethje was obviously still bothered by it at the beginning of the fourth. I have to go back and look. Maybe. That sounds a little bit not accurate, but I'd have to go back and look. So this is the new stream looks incredible. Your investments in yourself and hard work is growing your brand and business are paying off, dude. Keep killing it and providing A-plus content. Well, thank you guys. I really appreciate it. Um, what else do we have here? The very top. Thoughts on Gaethje's limited head movement and shell defense. <laughs> what do you want me to say, guys? It is who he is, man. It's got it, 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 it protects him a little bit, obviously. It's like a helmet. It's like a helmet in a car crash. Like it does help, you know. But at some point, if the car crash is bad enough, how much is wearing a helmet inside that thing going to do for you, right? Not not much, right? So um, it matters. It does block shots. It does protect him a little bit, but it's very limited in terms of elite strikers like that. All right, let's go to the super chat. Jason Williams says, awesome main card tonight. I agree. Uh, let's see. Kevin Campy says, Campbell says, sharp video quality, massive improvement. Yes, it is, my friend. Martin Can says, hey, Luke, your channel's great. Love your work. Poirier called out Habib. Your thoughts on this? I mean, would you guys hate seeing that fight? I wouldn't hate to see it. I think people would be like, well, what about Connor? And what about Eddie? Um, you know, what about Tony? Right? There's just, there, we, here's the problem, really. We've got to get that Tony, Connor, Habib triangle. We've got to begin to get that sorted. It's, it's got to get happening because, number one, it's going to, I mean, not that having debate over it is some sort of, like, terrible issue, but, like, the longer that goes on, there's just going to be these back-and-forth endless debates. Number two, um, the division needs it to move forward, or what's going to happen is that someone's going to get one of those fights, like there's going to be a Tony Eddie fight or, or a Dustin, I don't know, whatever, Habib fight. And somebody along the way is going to tip over the apple cart. And so all these narratives that we've built over the last two years are going to collapse. So, I mean, that's not the end of the world. Like, nobody is entitled to live out a media narrative. But it would just be kind of weird to lose that as a consequence. Um, C573 says, how many stoppage losses until Gaethje loses his appeal or is forced to change his ways? I don't think he's going to change his ways, man. I think that's who he is. Can he change his approach to fighting at this point? I think he can make some adjustments. He might wrestle a little bit more. Um, he might find other ways to employ space offense in the in-between. So as I mentioned, on the distance, he, he does the leg kicks up close, the uppercuts and the elbows. So maybe in that in-between space, in that pocket, he might be able to throw something more than just shelling up and then winging a shot, right? Um, but beyond that, this is the way he likes to fight. This we all guys, we all knew there was going to be a really short shelf life on this. We all really knew that, and so just being aware of that is 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 and cognizant of that fact. I mean, these guys have this much of this is why guys don't fight this way because they have this much of a window to compete. And when you compete the way he does, you have you have like nothing. You have tiniest window. Uh, let's someone say the the unmanifest says the new setup looks great. The blurry black, black round. Uh, background excuse me is comfortable in the eyes nice shot size and lens as well five dollars for keeping me company well thank you my friend i appreciate it um another person rob mcgee one of the favorite parts is of course the post fight specials thank you rob someone says luke i thought herb did a great job with the eye poke stoppage but i know people will say he can take damage let it go so i have to go back and look at the other stoppage or excuse me i have to go back and look at the eye poke that justin suffered i did not examine that enough in the dustin case i'm okay with it Gave him a warning. He did it again. 
take a point. It's a five-round fight. It's not the end of the world. And it ultimately didn't have an effect on the fight anyway. I don't think it changed the way either guy was competing insofar as those first two eye pokes on Dustin are concerned. Right? We all talk about the guy, how there's no consistency. Okay. Let's see what Herb continues to do. And I know other referees might not. But I'm okay with giving a guy a warning and then taking a point. I have no problem with that. None. Um, big thanks to Ronnie for the kind compliments. Jacob Sitter says, uh, turning MMA casuals into slightly less MMA casuals. Thank you, buddy. I appreciate that. Someone says uh, from Michael Cohen, leave King of Banter alone. King of Banter is a producer on my show. I'll never do that. Um, let's see. Omar Gutierrez says, Dustin versus Eddie 2 next. Yes, I hope. Who you got, Thompson or Till? I'm going to go. I'm going to go Till. And then Omar says, read the Super Chats, you bum. Well, there you go, Omar. I read your Super Chat. Thank you, buddy. I appreciate it. Um, And then, uh, let's see. Harvey Weinstein. (laughs) Someone whose screen name is Harvey Weinstein says, look, big fan of your work from one professional to another. Best of luck to you. I will take your money, Harvey Weinstein. Don't think I won't. Um, Thank you to everybody who donated in the Super Chat. I really appreciate it. All that money is going right back to pay for all the upgrades you're looking at. Thank you so much. Thank you if you subscribe to the channel and like the video. Uh, I really appreciate it. Uh, With that out of the way, I don't think I have much left to do. You guys are the best. Uh, I will be back probably next week with more content, and I'll have some content during the week as well. Thank you guys so much for watching, and until next time, ladies and gentlemen, get some sleep.